In this interview, I talk with Paul Cavill, author and Taoist teacher in the water tradition of Lao Tse. We discuss how a serious motorcycle accident left Paul in chronic pain. Searching for a solution, Paul met the man who would go on to become his teacher in the energy arts, Bruce Francis, holder of the Taoist water lineage. Living full-time in Bruce's home, within 18 months they successfully healed Paul's body and began a lifetime of study. We go on to discuss the power of Taoist energy arts in terms of combat, healing and spirituality, as well as discuss the extraordinary effects of studying closely with the true master of that tradition. We discuss the function of lineage, mind-to-mind -mind transmission, the eight energy bodies, and how to release physical trauma, emotional blockages, and even knots in the karmic body itself. So, without further ado, Paul Cavill. Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm curious, how did you first become interested in Qigong, Tai Chi, meditation, and things of that nature? Well, that's a kind of uh, wiggly route, isn't it? So I had some interest in uh, martial arts when I was at school. And I kind of got into that one because when I had to choose my subjects, because back then in England, we used to choose our subjects at a certain age. At 14, you had to choose your subjects. And I noticed that judo was on the, the possible choice. And that got me out of doing history and geography and those other boring things. And um, so I took it and I got beaten up a lot and I loved it. So, um, yeah, that made me struggle. That made me have to work hard. I was quite weak and small as a kid. So I really had to work at that. And, and then I kind of got into some other martial arts when I left school, did a bit of Kung Fu, Shaolin stuff, um, because, of course, David Carradine was on TV when I was a young lad inspiring us all with this idea of this spiritual warrior and then i went and did some uh, kung fu and found out it's got nothing to do with what was portrayed in that series you know there was no spiritual aspect it was purely martial arts and um, it was hard martial arts it wasn't really that good for the body i remember a young age around early 20s 2021 having some pretty major strains um, in my muscle groups and things of this nature because those practices were really, really tough. And so that wasn't it. So I continued looking. And at some point, someone mentioned Tai Chi to me, Young Style Tai Chi. And I'm like, what, what, what's that about? And um, I did two classes. I was 24 and I was hooked from the, from the beginning. So that's how I kind of got in. That's the short version. And um, I'd also sustained injuries in my body by that point in time that I really needed to deal with. Had a lot of pain. And being in my 20s and being told by the doctor I had to use a stick to walk and, and um, having pain in walking anywhere, um, that just didn't fit with my view of the world and my place in it and what I wanted to do and things of that nature. So... I heard this Tai Chi stuff was, um, it was healing, it was uh, spiritual, it seemed to cover the areas that I was interested in as well as the martial arts. And so I tried it. And I must say, I was, um, I was quite surprised. It seemed to be going in the right direction. What was the nature of those injuries? That seems quite 
extreme if you're in your 20s there being told you have to walk with a stick and how did you first begin to realize that the tai chi was having some kind of positive effect well the injuries i'd had various injuries through the martial arts i'd practiced um, but they were quite minor but then i had an accident um, a car hit me i was um, riding a motorcycle and the car hit me from behind apparently it didn't see me and i remember doing four back flips through the air before landing and I know that because the lamppost went past. It was nighttime. The lamppost went past four times backwards. And um, I was like totally conscious throughout the whole incident. And my adrenaline was pumping like you wouldn't believe. So I got up and I responded to that. And um, the car was on top of my bike. I was very lucky. Um I was turning right, which in England means you're going to cross the flow of traffic coming from the other direction. And he caught me just on the side. And um, if he'd have hit me one second later, he would have sideswiped me and trapped my legs. And that would have been that. But I was lucky. So uh, I didn't go to the hospital. And the police didn't even know I was on the motorcycle when they arrived. I mean, it's quite a hyper situation. You know, you're not you're not in normal state of mind and so I kind of like woke up the next day with all this pain running throughout my body um, and I finally got to the doctor and they looked at me and they said well you're really lucky you didn't break any bones you've got no internal bleeding but you've got an awful lot of soft tissue damage so I had things like uh, parts of my diaphragm were torn my colon was in a bad state. Uh, my psoas was partially herniated. Um, I had a lot of ligament damage in my knees and hips and lower back. And my spine was all over the place. You know, the alignments were pretty rough. And so there I was. And I thought, well, what can I do? Uh, the hospital offered me a, a physiotherapy appointment in six months. Now, I can tell you, when you're in that condition, Steve, six months is a hell of a long way away. And so I just started looking for what can I do? And I went to various therapists, um, various people doing body work. Most of them seemed to make my condition worse or not do very much at the best. And back then, I mean, we're talking about the early 80s. And so there wasn't a lot of alternative stuff going around, you know. So the little there was wasn't very high quality in the area I was living in, uh, southeast England. So I needed to find something. And that's when I remembered this, what my friend had said about Tai Chi and the, and the young style Tai Chi being a healing art and da, da, da. So I started to look for that. Um, finding classes was really hard. There weren't any in the area. Um, and I just tried to learn it from a book in the beginning, which was hilarious. Learning movements from a two-dimensional book is just, well, you can make a lot of mess out of that. We say you can be very creative with the movements. And then um, I finally found a class down in Brighton. I was visiting for a while, and I started learning some Tai Chi there from somebody that nobody's ever heard of, just a low-level Tai Chi guy, and yet 
just going through those slow motion movements with a relaxed intent and a soft body, it started to do things. It started to release the, the vibration in my nervous system and it started to smooth out some of my motions and it began to give relief for a period of time. And then it went the other way. After I got a certain distance down the road with learning the art, um, basically I was learning Qigong and Tai Chi at the same time. It's normal that you learn these two in parallel. And um, so, yeah, I was like starting to have to reduce my movements. I was starting to have to back off with my effort. And I seemed to be going backwards suddenly. And I didn't know it at the time, but later on I found out that was because I was starting to get deeper into my body. I was releasing the outer casing of those injuries and I was getting more into the core points of the damage. And when you do that and you start accessing that, you have to back off. You have to reduce your movements a lot so that you don't re-damage. Yes, because now you're dealing with scar tissue and scar tissue is interesting because normally the fibers of your muscles they when they grow when you're a child and you're growing they grow in lines and they create these threads through the muscles and it's like a grain like the grain in wood and they're all going in basically the same direction they spiral but they're all basically going from one end of the muscle to the other and um when scar tissue is laid down, these fibers are laid down all over the place. They're not laid in any particular direction. Yes. And so that tissue doesn't elongate. It doesn't stretch. It's not as elasticated as the other soft tissues of the body. And so when you have soft tissue damage of that nature and that scar tissue sets in to basically seal the gaps from the herniation and to, to repair the damages of the, the tears and the rips. Um, and then what happens is those, those tissues need to be elasticated very slowly over a longer period of time, yes? And so basically it's like having a knot in, a, in, in a, an elastic band. You stretch out the elastic band and all the fibers, the elastic band stretch out, except for that knot in the middle. Yes. And so to get that knot to move, you have to make very small, precise movements to get that to open out. And so once I started to get into that, everything shut down. Everything become much smaller in the motion. And then that is when I found that I needed more help and my local teacher wasn't really up to it. And that's when I started looking around and uh, eventually I connected with Bruce Francis who um, took me in as they say, you know. And before, before we get to that meeting, what is the trajectory for somebody with the sorts of soft tissue damage that you had if they weren't able to begin that healing and unknotting process? What have you seen in your work? Because I know you're also very involved in sports massage and, and healing and these sorts of things. What do you think would have happened to you if you hadn't have stumbled upon the Yang style of Tai Chi? What's the prognosis if you do not have treatment? Okay. If you don't have any treatment, then what is going to happen to you is your body is on a continuous closing down 
scenario. It will not just one day be okay. You don't grow a younger body by doing nothing about it. Yes. The internal arts, Qigong, Xing Yi, Tai Chi, Bai Wa, they are known for rejuvenating the body. Rejuvenation means to grow the body younger. Okay. So every seven years, you replace the bulk of the cells in your muscle groups. Yes. For organ tissue, it's 30 years. Yes. But eventually, everything in your body gets replaced. Yes. Otherwise, you will die very early. So your body is constantly replacing with new cells. Now, if you have trauma in the body, those cells will naturally replicate that trauma that's in the body unless you do something to reverse it. And so as you age, your body gets stiffer, harder, it closes down, it becomes less functional. And you've only got to look around in, the, in your local supermarket or shopping mall and you will see lots of people in these conditions. People that have done physical labor or just sat on a computer all day for many years, their bodies just shut down because they do nothing to open the body back up again. Okay? So all of these practices, um, yoga does it to a certain degree as well, um, and other modern things will open up the body to a certain degree. It's just that the, the, the internal arts, the Taoist internal arts, were designed to reverse the aging process, to reverse the trauma in the body and to heal the body directly, you see. So I, I've often, I've often quite, you know, thought about that. Where would I be right now? Okay, because now I'm coming up 57. And so that was 35 years ago I had the accident. If I hadn't have done what I'm doing now, what condition would my body be in? Yes. And I'm sure it would be way worse than it is today. And if you want to know the truth, my body is more flexible, healthier, and springier than it was before I had my accident. Yes. Which is pretty interesting. And you mentioned trauma there. And you said in your account that you talked about the vibration in your nervous system. So you've talked a bit about the undoing of the physical trauma in the tissues, and you've talked about the mechanics of that. When you're saying the vibration in your energy system, can you talk a bit about that dimension of, of trauma release? Yeah, look, if you fall over and you hurt yourself, it's a shock. If somebody come up behind you and hit you on the back with a baseball bat and you were not expecting that to happen, that is a shock. Yes. And it doesn't have to be a physical shock. Um, you could go home one day and you walk up to your front door and there's a notice on the door saying the bank has taken your house from you. You know, there could have been a mistake, but the, your house has gone. That's a shock. You know, you come back and your wife has left you. That's a shock. And when you get these shocks, there is this vibration that runs through the entire nervous system of the body. And you've got to remember the nervous system tells the human body what to do. And so if you get a shock into the nervous system, it basically penetrates everything in your physicality. Yes. So if you don't deal with that negative vibration that is running through the nervous system at some point, then you will have issues because the, the body has many rhythms and many pulses. 
And if you put the wrong vibration into the nervous system, it will mess up all of those rhythms in your body. Your your organs have rhythms. Your, your blood flow has rhythms. Yes. Okay. The fluid flows of your body have rhythms. And if they're interrupted by the wrong kind of vibration and shock is the wrong kind of vibration, it will shut everything down and prevent your body from working properly. And then you don't have... You, you, you don't have a good outlook from that point forward. So you need to remove that shock. Yes. I, I had a friend um, and there was a storm in Scotland and he went out to help these school children because the bus was stopped and these trees were coming down in this storm. And um, luckily he put his hard hat on when he went out the door because he got the kids out of the bus and into his house and um, then the tree came down on top of him when he went out the second time, hit him on the back of the head, smashed his head into the ground and broke his jaw into four pieces. And two days later, I, um, I went up to Scotland and met him when he came out of that hospital. And we spent two weeks tapping off the shock from his nervous system. Yes. Because, I mean, he was visibly shaking when I first met him. I mean, he literally looked like Darth Vader. His jaw had been wired together. His head was almost triangular. Yes. And, um, yeah, he needed a lot of work. And the first thing before the body can really heal is getting that shock trauma out of the nervous system so the nerves don't keep telling the body to stay in that condition. Yes. Once you tap that off from the nervous system, then you can really start working on healing the soft tissue because there's always this hierarchy in, in, in healing. Yes. The chi tells the nerves what to do. The nerves tell the body what to do. So if your chi is not smooth, if your chi is agitated, if the vibration is incorrect, then the nervous system won't operate the body correctly and the body can't heal or function properly. So everybody wants to work on the physical end, but unless they get past the physical through the nerves and into the chi that is running, because chi is just a word for energy. And how is the energy running through your system? If the energy is not running through your system smooth, then it will create dysfunction. Yes? Something like this. Fascinating. So you're coming to this point where your movement, you're getting deeper and you're finding your movements are getting less and less and less and you and you you need help. So you start looking around and then you find the man who was later to become your primary teacher in these arts, Bruce Francis. Can you tell me about that first meeting, your first impressions and, and what it was that you began to work on with him at that early stage? Yeah, I mean, when I first met him, he was quite um, he, he was quite a, a strong you know combat martial artist he was um, also a, a really good uh, twain our body therapist and he was also a spiritual practitioner within the internal arts so he wore three caps as we say yes the health and healing the martial and the spiritual and this is one of the uh, this is one of the trinary functions of uh, the water method, the Taoist water method that we practice. And um, but 
I just remember, you know, me saying, oh, I've got these issues in my body, blah, blah, blah. And he just kind of goes, oh, soft tissue, that's easy to heal and walks off. And I'm like, hold on here. You know, I need a bit more than, oh, it's just easy to heal. You know, I mean, he personally uh, broke his spine in a major car crash. He had cracked his lumbar vertebrae. The doctors told him he wouldn't be able to walk again. He would need to have a spinal fusion and he would be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And he told them to leave him alone. And um, they offered him drugs. He took no drugs because the pain was the doorway into the damage. It's the mind's doorway into the damage. So he laid on his back for six months. He let his bones heal. And then he got up, walked, and continued training. And he's now 70, and he's still walking around. So these things can, these things can work. Maybe you could mention a few things about Bruce um, and, his, and his background. He's had really a remarkable journey himself not only in terms of recovery from that injury but i mean that's in a certain sense a small part of his of his story but he was a man who traveled to china and spent a great deal of time there and became initiated into the among other things Taoist water lineage but maybe you could give a sort of just for the those who, who won't know about him which will be a lot of the listeners um, sort of potted history of Bruce to, and then loop back in perhaps to your beginning then to actually work with him okay um yeah, I mean, his his journey is quite incredible. Uh, he's fit. He's fitted ten lifetimes into one. So at nineteen, he went to Tokyo and Japan to follow his um, karate career. He'd already um, he'd already got his black belt in karate when he was fifteen. And as soon as he was old enough, uh, he left the U.S. He went to to Tokyo and Japan. Then he joined a team in um, Tokyo and his team won the All Open Karate Championships two years running. And then he bumped into Wang Shu Jin, who was a renowned internal martial artist that started teaching in, in uh, Japan. And Wang Shu Jin told him that karate was for children and old people and it wasn't a real martial art. And so he was really kind of taken aback with that. And anyway, he studied with Wang. To cut a long story short, he studied with various people in Taiwan. And then he went to Beijing and got an introduction with his teacher, his primary teacher, Liu Hongjie of Beijing, who was um, basically a Taoist adept. Um, somebody that has reached the, the real heights within the Taoist practice. And Liu took him on and passed the lineage, in, passed the lineage on to Bruce um, over a six-year period. He was working with him six, hour, six to eight hours a day during that period for several years. Yeah, so he got what we call one of the real old lineages, uh, most of Taoism that's out there is from the fire tradition, what we call Neo-Taoism, which is about a thousand years old, which is very old from Western terms, but not very old from the uh, Asian terms. Um, Lao Tzu passed on the water method. I think he coined the phrase water method um, two and a half thousand years ago. 
but it predates Lao Tzu by a minimum of 1,500 years. So the practices of um, the Qigong system and the uh, Bagua, the meditation, the healing material, that has its roots uh, 4,000 years plus. There are some talk about um, it coming from the region of what is Tibet now. And this is a very interesting link. Um, apparently it come over the desert from, uh, from Tibet and come into Western China about 4,000 years ago, which means it was circulating around before that. But we know the I Ching, which is the, which is the primary book of Taoism, um, the Book of Change, is um, written 4,000 years ago. And so this is, uh, this is quite an old lineage. And this is what makes this material particularly interesting because there's very little of that around. So, yeah, Bruce linked up with Liu. Liu taught him. And then Liu died, I think it was 86. And then Bruce came back and started teaching with his um, teacher's consent in, uh, in the US and in Europe. And um, I kind of come in on the scene in 94. I come into California. Um, I'd spoken to Bruce in the courses he was doing in, uh, in England. And he said, really, after that first meeting, he opened up a little bit more. And he said, really, to deal with what's in your body, I need you for at least six months. Yes. On a regular basis. And with that, I went to California. I lived with him 15 months. I was there in the end. And he took me through a number of practices for healing my own body and learning the basics of the Nagong system. The Nagong is uh, the internal content of the internal arts, whether we call it Qigong or Tai Chi. It's the Nagong. That is what makes the thing work. Yes. And so 94, 95, I was in uh, Fairfax, California with him. And he was very generous to me there. He gave me a lot of help. And my body just opened up in that time like you wouldn't believe. I mean, by then, I think I, it was about 10 years previous to that I'd had the accident. I think it was 83, 84 I had my accident. And, um, yeah, so I carried that in my body for a while. And in one year, it was undone. And I was doing things that I couldn't do before and i tell you there is there is nothing like lifting that burden off of you 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 feel again you're like a young person again it's like being you know in your 20s you're a 70 year old and you, you can't do anything you know you get up and you have pain in your hip you know you walk to the toilet and that's enough for now you have to sit down and rest and then to take that out of your body and it to function properly again is, is an amazing gift. So, yes, I have a lot of gratitude for that. You know, sometimes I think there's, in a way, an art to relating to masters of lineages or, or people with that kind of information. Uh, and I'm curious. I, I mean, I expect someone like Bruce, even at that time when he was less well-known uh, than he is now, many people would have come to him with problems, issues, requests. What do you think it was it about you or the situation that had him invite you to live with him 
and work with you in such depth? Well, if you watch the old stories, the old Shaolin stories, you know, the kids go and knock on the door of the temple, please let me in, and they say, no, go away, and they go away. Yes. And um, then one kid sits in the rain, blah, 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 you know, and a week later, the guy opens the window and looks out, and the kid's still there, and he goes, okay, come in. Yes. This is very real. I mean, that's uh, a made-up storyline, yes, in the movie. But in reality, what it's saying is if you ask once, the teacher will say no, yes? If you come back and ask again and again and you show willingness to learn and you show willingness to help your teacher, then they open that door. So in that period, I did most of the basic chores in the house, cooking, cleaning, tidying up, sweeping the dojo before class, you know, all the usual things. And through that process, they sh you show willingness and you, you give to your teacher and then they will turn around and give you something. And they can give you something that is worth way more than those hours spent doing those menial tasks. And I don't think this is um, specifically in Taoism. I think that is all, all traditions, all spiritual leaders, all people with the, all true masters with the ability to transmit mind to mind. They can give you gifts and they can help you uh, release things that you shouldn't have inside of you. Yes. And you have to show, you have to be humble, you have to show them that you're willing to learn, you're willing to study, you're willing to, to put in. And then they will be willing to give back. But you can't say, oh, I've paid my money for the class, I expect it. That is the wrong road. Uh, that, that won't get you anywhere. Practice is heavily emphasized in your teaching. You know, you're just talking about putting in the effort and so on and... What was your practice schedule at that time? How much work were you doing in terms of formal practice during those 15 months? Um, I would be looking at a good two hours, maybe three hours of physical training, um, which is all the various Qigongs or Tai Chi or Bagua, um, and then uh, meditational practices on top of that, because um, there is this, it's like in, in our system, it's like a continuum. You know, you have, you have physical movements, Qigong movements, that tune you into the physicality and your energy, and they help you to tune in and, and recognize stuck energy and to release that energy through movement. And then our meditation practices where you go in directly with the mind to release those stuck, stagnant, blocked energies within your system. So the two kind of go hand in hand. But basically, um, I can remember those times I was working 25 hours a week to fulfill my commitment to my teacher. And that gave me plenty of time for practice and, you know, study and reflection but i want to make a point here steve in those early days 
I wouldn't go at it for two, three hours at a clip. Sometimes it would be five or 10 minute practice, very focused, very solid, five or 10 minute focus, and then to take a break. And then again, come back and do another practice that may be a 15 or a 20 minute practice. Yes. But always staying well within the comfort range of the body, because as soon as you push the body beyond its comfortable limits, the body closes down. It has these natural uh, defense mechanisms. You know, if you stretch out your limbs way too far, then your body starts to pull back. Your nerves start to bind and pull back to prevent you from damaging your body. Yes. Now, when you're when you have trauma, when you have injury or illness, then you have to back off and do way less. Yes. So before I went there, I got my practice up like an hour or more a day. But then when I got deep into the issues, I wouldn't practice more than 10 or 20 minutes at a clip without a break. Yes. And then have a rest, maybe a half an hour, and then go back and do some more and let the body settle, let that discharge. Yes. Release that. What it brings up, it's dredging. Yes. I love this word dredging. It goes in and it and it dredges stuff up to the surface. And if you keep working hard, then you tighten the body and it pushes it back in again. And, and you want that to come out and to be released from your system. And so if you don't take those rest periods when you're dealing with trauma, you know, you won't get very far. Within a year, you've cleared the physical and nervous system trauma of the motorcycle accident from your body working there in Fairfax, California. At that point, you could have, I suppose, walked into the sunset with your uninjured body and <laughs> gone on with whatever you were doing before. But you didn't. You uh, kept going and you went deeper into this. So can you give us a bit of a sense of where things went after that? You're healed. You kept going. Okay. I mean, when you say healed, yeah, the bulk of the damage had been taken out of my body. I had the normal, I had freedom. Uh, I didn't have pain. My body functioned better. But then in that journey, you realize that there's more inside of your body than just physical stuff. Okay. Um, the Taoists have this eightfold model or this eight level model of the human being, which starts with the physical and goes through the chi, the energy that runs the physical and the emotions and the mind. Um, and of course, the psychic, karmic and the what we call um, the body of individuality or the spirit, the soul of an individual or something of this nature. It's not exactly the same in, in the Chinese, but it's it's close enough. And then, of course, the, the body of the Tao, which is your connection with all and everything in the known cosmos. So they have this eightfold model. So in working deep into your body, you start noticing other stuff that is uncomfortable, other stuff that has been suppressed, other stuff that is... Um, that you don't really want to know about. You don't want to make contact with it. It, it. It's not pleasant. It could be some emotional trauma. It could be some mental trauma. 
you can have psychic knots you have you can have karmic loops that you're running around you know or what some people like to call um blind compulsions why do i keep doing the same damn thing again and again and again and so as you go deeper in your system and you start to notice because your your uh, skills you get become honed and and your ability to feel and tune into various energies becomes quite refined and therefore you start to notice things that are more quiet yes these things that can bubble up one day and explode yes like you just say hi to someone and they they have a they have a major tantrum about the fact that you spoke to them it's like well obviously what you you speaking to them didn't cause that it triggered that so what was under the surface that made that person go into that fit of anger yes so you start noticing these things in yourself and this is where you get this handoff from the physical or the martial practice into the spiritual realm yes it's like there is something more there and if you care to look at that and start to deal with that now you're on a lifelong path it's not like oh i've just got to heal my body and i'm fine but Honestly, if people are in pain and they do their qigong and things really well and that they become healed from that and they're fine with that and that's as far as they wish to take it, there are no rules or regulations that you have to go further. It's a, it's a personal choice if you wish to go deeper into your system and deeper into what we would consider a spiritual journey. So you mentioned there a karmic loop as being a a kind of compulsive behavior or circumstances that seem to keep recurring again. A blind compulsion. It's compulsion, you must do it, and it's blind, you don't see it. But the people around you, the people around you see it. I mean, people recognize you not just from your facial features, but by your behaviors. Yes. Okay, and you meet someone that you haven't met for 10 years, and, and it's like, oh, I know that person their whole signature yes so you see we have these like almost like programs running through us and um, people have like these these we, we say they got a streak in their personality you know they got they got a nasty streak as an example and um, they're fine if they drink beer but when they get on the whiskey don't hang out with them because you know they're gonna get funny see you see, you recognize these things in other people, but can we recognize it within ourselves? Okay. Can you give an example of a, a sort of karmic loop that uh, you worked through during that time or, or sometime thereafter? Yeah, I suppose I, I, could, I could give you this one. When I was young at school, I used to get bullied a lot. Okay. I was small. I was weak. I was timid. And I got bullied a lot. That was one reason that I liked going into the martial arts stuff was because it made me tougher, opened me up a bit. It made me more formidable, um, at least in my mind. Yes. And um, and so. Yeah, once I got into the Tai Chi stuff and I went through that process, and I can't say when it happened but 
I, I used to get in these situations. I used to get into really strange situations where I, I'd do almost nothing and then somebody would want to have an issue with me. They'd want to fight with me or, or something. And it was like, what have I done now? You know, another, another of these funny scenarios that come up. It wasn't just at school. It also happened uh, in my early working life when I was an engineer. You know, I seemed to rub people up the wrong way for no apparent reason. Yes. And I used to get on fine with some people and some people I'd just rub them up the wrong way. And um, that just kind of disappeared at some point. Yes. That doesn't seem to happen anymore. I'm sure I annoy some people, but not to the point where people want to get physical with me and they want to um, become aggressive with me. And I definitely see that as a neutralization of certain things, certain loops that were running through me, certain programs, certain conditionings that were running through me, that I triggered that because my friends didn't seem to trigger that in other people. If we're standing in a pub, it always seemed to be me that somebody would have trouble with. And yet I was quite quiet. Yes, I wasn't out there. I wasn't loud. I wasn't putting myself out there at all in any way. I certainly wasn't aggressive, uh, you know. So that got neutralized. And so that was like uh, some kind of like, in my opinion, that was some kind of like, it was either uh, an emotional mental block or some kind of like karmic magnet that I was pulling those situations to me in order to deal with it. Yes. And, um, yeah, and like I say, I don't get that anymore. Yes, I, I, I haven't for many years had somebody come up to me and want to get physical, like for a couple of decades or more, you know. I, I just don't remember when it went, but it went. And so that I definitely see as a uh, part of that work. And so when one works with a karmic loop, for instance, what is the experience of working with that? Do those things get released as a passive consequence of the physical and energetic movements that you're working with? Or does one tangibly connect to, I suppose, what would be the karmic body? Uh, and what is that connection like if it exists? Yeah. See, now we're back to our eightfold model again. Um... Yeah, I mean, people like to jump in on the karmic level. They like the idea of it, okay? But now you're dealing with some very strong energies, okay? So, yes, you can link with the karmic body directly and directly work with your karma. But what's the, 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 the more correct method from our system is you always start with the physical because you see all eight bodies are inside of you physically. So if you have, let's say, a karmic knot or loop inside of you, it will show up in your physical flesh. And so you go through your physicality, through the energy, through the emotional bindings within that knot, that blockage, through the mind, through the psychic material until you access and get the karmic material and you can neutralize it now on route if you're lucky you may neutralize certain things which will dissipate that 
that karmic loop or that karmic event, yes? But I want to take you through something now. The vibrations are, are different. As you go up through the bodies, they get higher frequencies. So a, if, you, if you produce, let's say, a million volts of qi, yes, in your qigong practice, then that will have the effect of 100,000 volts in the, in the qi body. That will create only 10,000 volts in the emotional body, only a thousand in the mental body, a hundred in the psychic. It's only 10 in the karmic body. So you see it has very little influence. Yes. So you can fix your body. You can smooth out your emotions. You can even get a very calm mind. But that's not going to fix your karma. Now, if you do have the capacity to go directly into the karmic body and start futzing with that and releasing that, one in the karmic body is 10 in the psychic, it's 100 in the mental, 1,000 in the emotional, 10,000 now in your chi body that's running through your nerves, and 100,000 when it hits you physically. And that can make you shake like hell. And I think that this is, um, you could see a parallel here with people taking vast, some vast quantities of psychedelics and never being the same again. Yes, it can have that similar kind of result on the human nervous system. So unless you go through the layers and you insulate your nervous system, you strengthen it, you clear it. You see, because the problem isn't if that much chi flows through your energy body and your physical body. The issue becomes with if you've got major blockages in your physical and your energy body and you put that kind of juice through it. Now you power up those blockages or you burn out those channels. And this happens to a lot of people when they do very deep meditation practices without having the prerequisite training or the teacher they're working with doesn't have the skill to put all the safety factors in place. Yes. Okay. As we used to say in the early days, and no disrespect to any tradition here, but Kundalini crack ups and meditation monsters, you know, it's like it was like people would be coming out of India and all over the place working with these strange characters and they would come out and they weren't quite right. Yes. And some people worked in those places in those exact same traditions with reputable teachers and masters and they come out much better than they went in, yes? So it just comes down to, this is why lineages are so important and who teaches who, yes? Because if you don't know where that guy got that information from, he could have just thrown it all together like chop suey one day when he was having an acid trip and you don't know what you're doing, yes? Okay. So, yeah. Does that kind of help certainly 
Oh yeah, that's that's very fascinating. And you've also mentioned psychic knots. Mm. What's a psychic knot? I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> what is a psychic knot? It's a blockage in your psychic body. Yes. You see, this is where Taoism, water method, comes into its own. You don't have to know what it is. You don't need to know. There's no analysis needing to be done. You are just removing all that is false. Because if you remove all that is false, whatever remains must be true. It's of you. It's of your essence. It's meant to be there. Yes. And so you see, that's where dissolving comes in. Dissolving is the primary meditation method. Inner dissolving is the primary meditation method of, of water method Taoism. Because you're not trying to make energy go here. You're not trying to power up. You're not trying to do anything except for release all that is false. And that is why the rejuvenation, not just of body, but of mind and of spirit, comes into our practice. If you remove all that is false, what remains is what you came into this world with. And if you can get back to your essence, what you came into this world with, and you can become clear with that, then you are well on the way to what we would call enlightenment or what the uh, Buddha, what the Taoists call realization. You see, because the, the, um, the Buddhists like the word enlightenment and Taoists talk about being fully realized. Bruce's teacher, Liu, was a fully realized Taoist. So in the example of a psychic knot, for instance, if someone had a psychic knot, uh, what what would be an example of, an, of, of a sense in which that would affect them. Or another way of looking at it might be if someone was to release a psychic knot that maybe they didn't know they had, what difference would they notice or what difference would there be? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't really tell you that. I'm not educated enough in that direction to be able to answer that question properly. So I'll shy away from that. I've had certain experiences in my own self, but I would not extrapolate that out to the rest of the world. So, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities in there, and I only have a few of the pieces. So I, I, I'll just shy away from that one if we can. Sure. We can certainly move on from there. So you mentioned lineage there and the importance of lineage and the important, importance of knowing who taught who, because... Uh, that contextualizes the information. Did the person just make it up or, or crib it from various different books? Or have they received it from you know, a lineage of some sort? Uh, could you talk a bit more? I know it's a very important aspect of the water tradition that you teach. Could you talk a bit more about the importance of lineage and the effect of lineage in, uh, from a practitioner's point of view or a student's point of view or more broadly? Yeah, um... There's a lot when it comes to lineage. You can only teach what you know. Okay. So let's say um, some group of individuals generated um, this material at some point in history. It come from somewhere. Yeah. 
It didn't grow on a tree. Okay. So it, it, it comes up in history at some point. And let's say that that body of knowledge is complete. Yes. So there is 100% intact. Now, as it comes down through the ages, if that is not passed on in its entirety, it becomes weakened. There is less and less and less. And therefore, you only need one chain to be weak, and suddenly you could lose half the information. Now, which half are you using? losing? Are you losing all the safety considerations when working in the psychic or karmic bodies? Are you Because you're not going to be losing the easy stuff, are you? You're not going to be losing, like, how to put your feet on the ground and get your, your, your knees over your feet and, and your spine aligned, you know, because that's what you learn day one. You're going to be losing the, the upper end material, you know, when uh, you're going through the different bodies through meditation practices into the point where you're fusing everything into your essence and creating what they call a ling, a soul. Because the Taoist perspective is you don't have one when you're born. You create one through a spiritual journey. Okay? And if you fuse that, then you can reincarnate as that individual again and again and again and again. Yes? Otherwise, you're splintered. You're splintered into a soup of spirit. And then the big man in the sky puts his ladle into the soup and pours that into a human being. That can come from any number of different beings. And this is why we, we look at it from the perspective of a journey towards unity, unifying what is inside of you. Yes. And forming the link. So it's the higher end you're going to lose if the training doesn't go on enough or if the teacher dies early. Yes, and the student is only three quarters of the way through. What's he losing? Yes. And then in the modern world, in our kind of chop suey reality of, of, of spiritualism, where people go, oh, I've got this from this and that from that and something from somewhere else. And you throw that all in the pot. You have no idea what that's going to do to you. It's like the pharmaceutical industry. They test each and every drug, but they do not test combinations of drugs and yet they put thousands millions of people are on combinations of drugs every day but they have no idea what that's going to do to a human being yes and that's where we are with spirituality right now so this is why the lineage is important that it doesn't get broken okay and then of course you have personal specialties so um my initial interest was in martial arts then once I realized this stuff could actually help heal my body, I got really into healing. Like I wanted my body to heal. Yes. And then through that process, I got interested in a spiritual journey because I realized there was a lot of crap inside of me I didn't like and I didn't want it there. And I wanted to neutralize that. Yes. So you see, it, it evolves. And if the lineage is have the capacity to hold all the knowledge of those three threads, the student can 
move around within that material according to what their needs are in the moment. Yes. And so these days, I don't put much energy into martial arts. But if for any reason the world shifted dramatically in the next few years and there was a very and I was in a very rough neighborhood, then I would go back to honing my martial arts skills through those practices. Now I need them. Yes. You see. This is this is a very important um, this is a very important thing. At what point do you think in um, you know this might be us if you want speculating? At what point do you think the development of a lineage changes to a sort of preservation of the lineage? And is there any space or room for development, uh, further development, which is presumably how such a lineage would come to be? Is there a tipping point? In other words, yeah, I'm not sure there's a tipping point, but let's look at this. These, um, I mean, this is what happened in ancient China. These monasteries, these Taoist monasteries, they were linked. And so you see one of the monasteries would go into trying to improve something through a particular practice for a number of generations, a few hundred years. And then they would report back to the, the main source and go, well, we went down there, but, you know, to be honest, we didn't get anywhere. It didn't do much. And so we're going back to the old way that it used to be, yes? It's called research and development. And this went on. And um, this is why Lao Tzu was so interesting, because most people don't realize Lao Tzu is recorded as being head librarian for the emperor, and then he rides out on his ox to the, through the western gate into the mountains of western China. Yes. And um, but he was head of the Taoist schools and the Taoist temples in China. And um, so you see, he oversaw all of that development while he sat in office. And there's always a few of these guys in the water method lineages that are there and making sure that everything's ticking along and all the rest of it. Some people only have the capacity to um, deal with the stuff that's inside of them, to deal with their own traumas and their own issues and basically to become a better human being. Others can take the next step. They're luckier or they're more evolved in some way or they're smarter, more intelligent, however you look at it. And these people can go and they can develop things. But you see, that's the whole point of the, this, this old lineage. They've been doing this for 4,000 years, minimum. Okay. And the oral history says it has its roots back in 8,000 years before China existed. So now we're just looking at this incredible length of time that these things have been processed and they've been developed pretty much as well as they can be within the human body and the human mind now we can make adaptations if you wish for the modern world because you see we don't have to heat our bodies through deep meditation practice or through qigong practice we have heaters yeah, but if you go up into those mountains in Western China, I've been up there, man, it's cold in the winter. 
There wasn't a lot of heat in there. It's all stone, yes? I mean, you needed to do something to just survive, yes? Well, we've kind of taken care of that with modern technology, yes? So we can adapt, yes? But in developing, I, from everything I've been told from my teacher, it's been developed pretty much as far as it can be, yes? It can be adapted, it can be crafted to a particular individual's requirements, yes? But this goes all the way through to the end game of, of, of choosing, you know, becoming to the point where you form the Ling and being able to choose your incarnation, whether on this planet or somewhere else in the universe. So then, you, then you're in... Uh, then you're in the pretty the, the higher echelons of, of the spiritual game. And you mentioned there this sort of, you said chop suey. Yeah. And one of the things about today is that we have access to information from all sorts of traditions that if only by virtue of geography, we would have no contact with. I you know I can pull a book off the wall about Taoism. I can pull one off Tibetan Buddhism. I can pull one off Christianity or anything like this and re read those things and draw, draw from those things to some degree. And in fact, so many people today do do a bit of this and a bit of that, a bit of Qigong for the body, you know, maybe a bit of Vipassana for their, um, for their mind and so on and so forth. What's your take on compatibility of systems? Are certain systems more compatible with the water method? Are certain systems actually quite incompatible with the water method, at least maybe in the initial stages of learning. Yeah, uh, look at it from this perspective. I mean, the, the example you gave there of, you know, might do a bit of Qigong and a bit of a Vipassana. Yeah, I, I don't see that as a chop suey because you're doing this practice for this reason for your body over here and you're doing this practice to quieten the mind or whatever you're doing within the Vipassana teachings there, yes? Now, that's not the issue. The issue is more when I say take um, a water method Qigong form. I put some Shaolin stuff inside of it. I mix it up with a bit of Kundalini work from India. Yes. A bit of fire method from over there. Okay. And God knows what else is on the planet. It's all out there. Yes. Okay. All in one practice. Yes. Chop suey is one meal. Yes. That doesn't mean you can't have sushi the next day. Yes. Are you with me? And then some people are just more naturally attuned to one way or another. I mean, that's human variation. Yes. So, no, don't, I, I don't want anybody to get me wrong here. From a Taoist perspective, there's 36 million paths to the Tao. Choose one. Yes. doesn't have to be my one. Yes. It's what's right for you as an individual. And for some people, and I have done this in the past myself. I mean, I did some very interesting fire method material um, before I got into this, and I got into hot water with it, you know. And so it's like what happened, okay, well, let's say that um, the group I was working with didn't know what they were doing and they were making it up as they went along and they were reading it out of books, okay? So 
that isn't the best. But in my early youth, I I wasn't really that smart. So I was like just going along for the ride. And um, so we were mixing up all sorts of stuff, you know, some Kabbalistic stuff with um, Kundalini stuff, with some yogic practice with, you know, okay, it was a real chop suey. And um, it made me incredibly ungrounded. It made my emotions swing. It made my mind spin around. I went into fear and paranoia on a regular basis. I mean, you know, it just messed up my inner workings. And then I found this water method stuff really grounded me, you see. And so there I am doing this grounding me and I'm doing this other stuff over here, which is really sending me through a loop. And I'm like, why am I doing that? And once I got to that point, I dropped it and I never looked back. And then after it, it did not take much, half a year, maybe. And my mind become way more stable. I become way more grounded and I could start operating as a normal human being again. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I don't just say this from a theoretical perspective. I've, I've had that experience personally. And I just don't, I think people, you know, like choose a lane. Yes. Choose a lane. Don't, don't throw it all in and mix it up like that, you know. And again, I just want to be clear. There's no problem with doing meditation from one tradition, qigong from another tradition, or yogic practice from another tradition. You know, it's just like not putting it all in the same shell in the same moment. That, that's what really messes you up. And, and just one last thing here. We work off um, relaxation. Qigong, Tai Chi is known for um, working with relaxation. So if you look at it from this very simple thing, if you're doing Qigong, right, in the mornings and you're going to the gym and pumping weights in the afternoon, where are you going? What's going to happen? You're going to kind of stay in that mid-ground, aren't you? You know, because the next day your, your Qigong and your Tai Chi is just going to take the strain out of the body that you put into it, pumping the weights the day before and, you just kind of go, e, 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 e. you're not really going anywhere. Yeah? And I'm not even saying weights are bad, but if you want to create a, that kind of a body, then go down that road and do that thing. And if you want to create a soft, more supple body, then you've you, you got to stop doing that kind of stuff and go down this road. Yes. So it's just, what are you trying to create? choose a line i see so weight training and qigong i suppose could really be seen as in certain sense from the way you've presented it pulling in two different directions what you make of what you make of that not uh, whether or not one's better than the other isn't the point you were making i think the point you were making was just simply that they're going in different directions so you're not going to get that far if you practice both if you practice both at exactly at the same time. And I presume that's true for uh, fire method and water method. If you're doing them both at the same time, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, or is that different? Is there a way where uh, that, that could be synchronized or harmonized? Well, there's a little bit tricky, but 
let's first go into this. Both methods have all five elements. Okay. So the method is the pond, and the elements are the multi petaled flower that sits on the pond. Okay. So you have the method, and then you have the elements. The method is the approach. The fire method has a push approach. Yes. And in China, it's well known for um, hurting a certain percentage of the population that practice it, either mentally, energetically, emotionally or physically. They have issues with it. Could you give an example of a fire method practice? Well, it's forcing. There's a there's a there's an element of force within it. You're pushing. Let's say you can naturally sit for two hours. So you force yourself to sit for eight. Now you're pushing into the element of fire. Yes, you're forcing your system. Water method, always you stay within your comfortable, not lazy, but your comfortable range. Size of motion, quantity of repetitions, effort you put in, length of time you practice, is within a comfortable range, yes? So this is where the 70% rule comes in, or the, the rule of thirds, where you do two thirds of your effort and you leave one third in reserve. And if you do that, if you go to two thirds of your capacity, you never push to your limit. Your nervous system never binds. Your body relaxes and you release, and your capacity naturally expands. And so if this was your limit and you practice well for a couple of years, your limit increases. Now, I know this because to heal your own body, you have to find what is your comfortable range. You go beyond your comfortable range, your body closes down like you wouldn't believe. So my movements were very, very small. I said that at the beginning of this um, interview here. I said that my, my movements started to open up for a certain period of time, and then they really became small again once I got deeper into the trauma, yes? And then very slowly they opened out, and then when they opened out and they released open, then there was no issue and the body could move freely, yes? So the water method is always going to two-thirds of your effort if you are um healthy and one third of your effort if you are if you have some kind of major compromise in your system and then you know those parameters are not absolutes they're they're variables yes depending on the individual depending on what's going on in your life how much stress you're under blah 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 yes but that's the basic frame of it now the fire method pushes and one of the things that the fire method does is it forces chi through the channels. You drive it with the will through the channels. And the water method, you use intention. So you intend to move the chi through the channels. That's so much softer, yes? Okay. It's so much softer with the mind going through the body with intention rather than force of will okay 
So if you're strong as an ox and you're healthy and you've got good genetics, the fire method won't cause you trouble. Yes. But if you're not, it can cause you problems. And it's well known in China for doing that. But the Chinese have got this attitude. There's a lot of us. If we lose a few on the journey, it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> the water method is, is definitely uh, closer to the Western idea. Every human being is important. So to circle back to one last question, if you want, about lineage, and I'd love to talk about the unspoken transmission aspect of of the work that you do. Often in lineage, um, should we say lineage lore, there is that, of course, component part of benefit of the power of the lineage enabling and helping one in one's practice or in one's direction, not only through the quality of the information, but sometimes through some sort of transmission or carrying down of a certain potency. And often also in lineage lore, there are restrictions associated with partaking in a lineage, as well as penalties or negative things that would happen if one strays beyond those restrictions. Certain lineages, for instance, require a minimum amount of practice that one must do. And having received a certain empowerment, one has to maintain a daily practice of that, of that empowerment, or one either loses, loses the benefit, or sometimes there are actually negative consequences and so on that sort of kind of sort of a high stakes game you know if you want in then it's it costs in that way uh, does, do those aspects of lineage law uh, apply in the water method lineage that you're part of i'm not aware of the um, negative side of that um and maybe i'm just not high enough up the tree to to be aware of that i'm not sure but what i am very aware of is if we are given something in a in a teaching and we don't develop that then there is this oh well kind of attitude you know because you 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 didn't have the the gusto or the commitment or the juice or, or the practice. You didn't give it priority enough to have developed that, so you won't be taken to the next step. So it's kind of a um, self-regulating system in that way, that only if you get to a certain stage with your development are you shown the next piece in, in, the, um, in the puzzle. And I think this is the beauty of the old system. You see, because now we have, what do we have? We have books and uh, podcasts. We have video programs, online programs. We've got DVDs. We've got all these things. And a person can become aware of all of these practices, if you wish, you can go and buy a number of products and you can go through all this stuff in your mind, yes, and you know all about it, yes, from an intellectual perspective. But we always come back to one simple word, embodiment. Have you embodied it? So we do some pretty crazy things with our body in the sense of, not crazy as in, wow, I wouldn't do that with my body, but 
how you can tune into and manipulate the internal functions of your body, how you could, for instance, um, move your fascia through your body in particular ways, how you could increase blood flow in particular parts of the body in particular directions, how you could increase the pulses, how you can uh, unify the pulses how you can um, increase both mobility and motility of the internal organs and upgrade their functioning and how you can do all sorts of things with your spine and your joints and, 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 and it goes on, okay? And you, if you, you can read about these things, you can watch videos about these things, but can you do it? If somebody was to put their hands on your spine that has the ability to really feel in the body. Yeah, a highly trained uh, massage therapist or body worker can put their hand on palpate. Can you actually physically do it? That's embodiment. And so unless you embody a certain level of practice, you don't go to the next. And this is way more tangible in the physical body than with meditation practice because a lot of people pretend to know a lot about meditation that they can't do, but they've heard the words. Yes. They've heard the words, but when it comes to actual physicality, you know, can you open and close the joints in, 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 in your hands? And can you open and close the joints in your feet? Yes. To a particular rhythm that you, you are trying to fit to the rhythms of a Qigong or Tai Chi or Bagua movement, yes? Now that's control, yes? And when your teacher sees that you have particular control over particular things in your body, then they give you the next piece. And so you see there doesn't have to be a lot of discussion or it's all very kind of hidden. And the Taoists are great at this. They keep it hidden. So I always say that, I was really lucky because I started this stuff in the uh, mid to late 80s and um, there was very little available in written form or whatever. So when you learned something, you went away and you practiced it a lot because that's what you had. Yes. And your mind wasn't jumping around like we say, the monkey mind swinging from tree to tree. Oh, I'll do this Qigong today. Oh, I'll do that meditation tomorrow. Oh, I'll do that martial art today. Oh, I'll do that healing art today. I mean, it's like, you know, there's so many things. You can do a different thing every day for a year and you don't do the same thing twice. So that doesn't work towards embodiment. So we got our foundation down those of us that were practicing in the 80s and the 90s, we got our foundation down before the internet really exploded and everything became available. And the trouble I see with the students today is too much information, too much exposure, and they can't keep their mind on one thing at a time. Ten seconds is a long time for people today. That's crazy. Because we'd do things for weeks, months, and years to get it really down. You know, I think also reading about, I'll talk about myself at the very least, the, you know, the enthusiasm 
for practices and exploring and so on is is sort of a certain it's sort of a certain amount of potential energy and it can be dissipated through various different ways only one of which is actually practicing you know i can i can uh, in my enthusiasm i can open a book and read for an hour or two or something about the topic that i'm interested in and in a way it sort of it's uh slakes my thirst in a sense it's a little bit like buying exercise equipment off the internet <laughs> rather than actually just doing some push-ups. I don't have the right gear. I better buy some gear. Yeah, a little bit of effort with a lot less resource can take you further than the accumulation of resource without capitalizing on it. I've noticed that for myself, certainly. There we go. I think this is one of our issues today. I know people with really amazing DVD collections. Every martial art on the planet, every Qigong system you can imagine, they've got it all on the bookshelf there. They spend most of their time sitting on the couch and watching it. They don't actually do anything. And I don't know if that's going to get you very far down the road. From my perspective, if I'd have just sat on the couch and just read and watched movies about it, I don't think my body would be in the condition it is today. So one of the um, interesting aspects of your system that I've always found so fascinating is that the teachers are taught or you pick up the capacity to uh, manipulate the energy in a room or in the student to uh, the application is typically to help someone learn. And I wonder if this is at all connected to the unspoken transmission aspect. Very often I've heard it said that when an uh, advanced teacher of, of your lineage teaches there's the verbal information coming out and there'd perhaps be an element of physical demonstration and so on. But I've heard it said about Bruce, for instance, that very often he's doing unspoken transmission. Sometimes he'll say a sort of syllable will come out out of left field or there's some sort of, uh, I've been told, does these sorts of unspoken transmission, not like a darsham where everyone sits and looks and receives. Everyone's doing practicing or something like this, or they're doing the instructions, but there's this other thing going on at the same time. So I wonder if those two things are related. And perhaps you could talk a bit about that in the system and also about your experience learning and applying that side of the teaching. Okay. So there, now we have to get a little bit technical. We, we have... What is called Laosha, which means teacher, yes? And then there's Shurfu, which means master. So until you become Shurfu, then you are in the realms of Laosha. And only a master has control, full control, over mind-to-mind -mind transmission. So to, to begin, and mind-to-mind -mind transmission is when the, 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 the master actually bifurcates and enters into your body, energy, mind matrix. They come inside of you. And from inside, they start tinkering with the way your channels are running. And they start moving chi through the body in particular ways to unblock, to, to get rid of that which shouldn't be there. Yes. Resistance, um, 
stagnancies, blockages, yes? And to get the chi to flow unencumbered, smooth, free through your system. And if the student is sensitive to this, they can actually pick up on those flows moving through the body and then they can follow those flows and have those energetic flows move their body through the room. So I remember specifically in 95, working in this sports hall in Fairfax, one of my teacher's classes, and he had a split class scenario. So he was teaching one group, one subject, another group, another subject. And, and this is quite often done this way in our system because there's so many pockets of information that you can go, well, I want to learn this piece, but I don't want to learn all of that stuff. Yeah. And so therefore you have a lot of options. So it's often, often a split class. So he come down and he taught us this particular Tai Chi move, cloud hands in the Tai Chi form. And um, we built it up over a month. So he would layer in one piece and then the next class, we had two classes a week. So that'd be eight classes that we did cloud hands for in that form. And so the first class you're doing this piece and then you add this and then you add this. And this is traditional Nagong training. You know, you, you work on your alignments, you get bending and stretching the soft tissues, which gets rid of all of the tension in the body. Um, it dissipates the, the tissues and um, sorry, it dissipates the stagnancies in the tissues and make the tissues work properly. And then you put into that how the, the blood flow is accentuated and how the fluid flows of the body, the interstitial fluid specifically, and how that moves through your flesh and then how the chi runs through the nervous system. So you layer in these things, yes? And um, we were about halfway through this process. And he said, okay, practice that. And he went off down the other end of the room and suddenly my body was in motion and yet it felt like I wasn't doing it. And in the beginning, when you first get these things, it could be freaky. You feel like I'm being possessed or whatever, but it isn't. It's just that the chi tells the body what to do. And so if the master can put the transmission into your system and make the chi flow in your body in the way it's meant to flow, then your body will start to move. And now you're not looking at an external movement and going, oh, was it the thumb up or was the thumb down or was it this way or that way? You literally feel the way that your body is being molded. And this is traditional. This is the normal method of teaching. And Bruce is not the only person I've worked with that has that capacity. I've worked with other Chinese masters as well that have that capacity. So this is something that is that is taught and you are taken through specific training in order to do. And I don't think it's any different in the, um, in the Tibetan traditions either. Yes, I don't think it's any different what's, uh, at all. They, they take the students that are ripe and they take them through the process of how to do those transmissions, yes, in their meditation practices. So that was my first one. And so that's what we call mind-to-mind -mind transmission. The teacher goes inside of you. He 
adjust things in, in internally, the chief flows happen and you get that experience. And now you can take that experience home and you can replicate that again and again and again. And if you practice after receiving those transmissions on a regular basis, it's not long before you have the capacity and the skill to move in that way, to have those internal functions, to have your chi to be generated and, mo and mobilized in that specific way by yourself without the teacher's help. Now, when you get down to the level of Laosha, teacher, not master, yes? Now, if that teacher is working with a real lineage master, then all these things kick off in your teaching, when you're teaching, when I'm teaching, things go off in the room that I know that it's beyond my capacity. And I know that that's just the way that my teacher, the seeds he put in me in my trainings with him over the years. And I mean, I've been in this system now, what, 32, 30, 32 years. So that's a reasonable length of time to have had those transmissions put inside of me. So things happen in the room. Now, I would like to make a distinction between transmission and energetic manipulation because you see when a practitioner comes to a point in their training that they have control over the energies inside of themselves and within their etheric field, and then you start gaining access to energies that are further out away from you, there's a systematic training where you Layers of you go out into the universe as they do come into you. The eight layers that I discussed earlier, they both go out in your energetics, out to the entire universe, and they go deep into your core in those eight layers as well. So you're always, you know, it's called Neiwai Shanghe in, in, in uh, our tradition. Inside and outside become one. Yes. So when you're working on the level of the physical body, you're at the level of the skin. And when you go to the energy body, you're in the fascia and you're in your etheric field and so on. The emotional body further in, further out. The mental body further in, further out. So as you develop, you get to control the energies not only inside of you, but what's outside of you. And then you can use those in teaching scenarios in order to help the students get the material easier and quicker. It's kind of like the halfway method between just following physical movement and having a mind-to-mind -mind transmission. Yes. So while we're here, there was a man, uh, Dong Haishuan. He was the uh, modern progenitor of Bai Guajian, um, 18th century. He walks into um, Beijing. He beats every high-level martial artist in Beijing. He, he absolutely wipes the floor with everyone. And so the prince wants this guy in his palace. Yes? So he's in the prince's palace. He's teaching his guards. And then he starts teaching this art, Bagua Zhang. Nobody has ever heard about it. But the Bagua Zhang is it's like the brother art to Tai Chi. Tai Chi is a, a soft and yin art. Bagua is a, is, is a strong yang art. They both built out the same Nagong material, but like the letters 
of our alphabet, you can write various languages. It's just how you mix the letters up. How you mix up the Nagong creates a completely different art. Yes? So this guy comes out of nowhere, and his skill is unparalleled. And so you see, where did that man come from? He would never say, but the only thing we really know is he got injured or he became ill. He met an old man in the mountains. He healed him and taught him this art. Yes. And that art has come down to us. Now, there's been a lot of research into Baguazhang over the years from various scholars and various practitioners. And it can be traced back 4,000 years in China, back to the origination of the I Ching. Now, the I Ching, the Book of Changes, that is the mental understanding of the change principles that run through our cosmos. Bagua Zhang is the physical embodiment of change. Okay? And so it's, uh, it's a superlative martial art. It's incredibly healing, and it is a deep spiritual practice. And this comes back, this can be traced back to Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching and the I Ching and way back into history. And this is a very, very interesting thread. This is like the core of Taoism, yes? And um, that was passed on through various people, unbroken to my teacher's teacher and my teacher. And I have absorbed some of that material from him. And it is this lineage, it's a very powerful energetic transmission that is coming down through the ages. And so all I can say is if when you get involved in that deeply, then um, there's a lot of things that go on that can help people become healthy, vibrant, and grounded human beings. Presumably, these sorts of technologies, techniques are neutral in the sense that they could be used positively or negatively. Have you ever heard of anybody using the ability to enter another person's nervous system, another person's energy in a way to say siphon off uh, power or to um, create, so we say, negative effects? Um, I've not met anybody, I, I've never come across anybody that is doing that. That doesn't mean they're not. But personally, no. You see, because there's this whole uh, moral aspect to the work, and you generally don't get exposure to that kind of material if you don't have the basis to um, accept it and, and use it in a good way. Now, I'm going to have to do this is probably crack up a few people out there, but I've got to bring up Captain America here, you know, because it's the perfect scenario. They kept pumping soldiers full of stuff to make them superhuman and all the rest of it, but they could never get these people to be morally correct. So what did they do? They took a weakling, but very strong moral fiber, and they souped him up to high heaven. And booyah, you got Captain America. He won't even 
swear, you know, because he's so on that path. Okay, so the the there there's many tests that you go through before you are given anything anywhere near the capacity to do that kind of thing. What sort of tests? Let's just say they watch you, you know. They, they watch you because now we're not talking about watching you in a class or two. I mean, my, my teachers watch me over a couple of decades or more, three decades coming on now. Yes. So, I mean, like, and they have the perception or they have a, a, an ability of perception way beyond the average person. Yes, I mean, the mind's highly tuned. And they've been taught not only to have the skills to pass the material on, but to recognize, you know, when someone is a potential threat. Because from their perspective, if they taught me and then I went and did some really dodgy stuff, that's on their karma. Yes. Okay, they enabled that to happen. Yes. So if anybody gets out of order in our school, I mean, you know, the, the term, of, you know, coming down on you like a ton of bricks is, is, um, is relevant here. You know, I mean, Bruce would have no trouble in letting you know you did not do well yes so I, I, i've seen i've seen him um be very hard on a few people yes when they're going off the rails what would going off the rails mean to justify the ton of bricks say okay going off the rails okay using your influence in some way to uh, mess with somebody to to interfere with their free will Okay. And if he was to see somebody do that, then he would put a shock in them like, you know, I mean, you know, the eight trigrams, the eight trigrams. Yes. Okay. They were quite often around the yin and the yang, the eight trigrams. One of those trigrams is called thunder. Yes. Thunder is shock. Okay. So if you do something really wrong, then Bruce would have no problem whatsoever in using the energy of that trigram, that primordial energy of thunder and putting it through your nervous system. You'd shake for six months. And then you know you did wrong. Can you think of an example of that having happened? Uh, yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it. But, yeah, no, I, I have seen it happen. Absolutely. And look, there's the gentle nudge. And if the net gentle nudge doesn't work, then you get a bit of a bolt, a lightning bolt. And if the lightning bolt doesn't work, then you don't progress. And if you do um, move up the scale, you can be quite sure that you're doing okay. But look, there's something even more important here. And that is... When you start using energy and you start developing energy and you see how it affects people, 
there's something inside of you that just goes, there's no way you're going to use that for your own personal gain. That's just like, it's so far out of left field, it's unbelievable. Because you realize how the energy that you're putting out, causality, cause and effect, yes, you, you, you start to see what comes back. Okay, and when you start directly perceiving what's coming back from what you're putting out, it's 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 a great motivator. Yes, it's a great motivator. If you didn't have the moral compass in the first place, that that'll nudge you on course. You know, and and if you don't play that game well and you do the wrong things, you're amplifying a lot. And, and, and there's, you know, the, the karma's there, you know, for a reason, you know. And it's like, and you just start adjusting. I mean, this is, and, and the further you go down the line, I see it like a graph. There's a tipping point. You're on the graph here and you're releasing your blockages and you're getting rid of your nonsense and your crap and you're becoming more and more closer to you as an individual, your essence, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And this is your energetic ability. And at some point they cross. And if you, if you, get to that point where your energy ability becomes really strong and you are clearing out the stuff and you internally know what you're doing is wrong and you don't make an adjustment, you're an idiot. Because, you know, someone said this to me once, you know, there's like, I can't remember which tradition it was. I'm sure it was a Buddhist tradition of one nature or another, but they were saying that, if you do something with full intent, it's a full karma. And if you just do something and you're not really aware of it, it's only considered a half or a partial karma. Yes. Okay. So if you're, if you really know what's going on and you still play that manipulation game, that karma comes back a lot harder than if you didn't, if you weren't really aware of what you're up to. There seems to be something in that for me. We have that distinction in our, in our legal system as well, don't we? Intent. Yes, if you assault somebody and it's a red-hot, blooded moment because they made you really angry, it's one thing. But if you premeditated and waited for them behind and hit them over the head with a brick, now that's way more severe. Well, Paul, this has been so fascinating. Thank you for being so generous with your time. But now I'm sure people are very interested in the system. So as we're coming to, to a close here, Let's say someone's interested and they want to get involved in the system. Maybe they're interested from the martial arts point of view. Maybe they're interested in the healing point of view, healing themselves or healing others. Maybe that they're really captivated by the the spiritual possibilities that the system offers. Um, Perhaps you could give a kind of sketch of the system and some advice on someone who might be interested in beginning to study the energy arts. Okay. So for a start, I'd say this. Doing one thing well is better than a hundred things poorly. And I had that 
rammed into me so many times by my teacher when I first uh, went to train with him because the problem of the age is doing everything. Yes. So again, pick a lane. So we have things like we have, we have meditation. We have uh, yogic practice, Taoist yoga practice. We have um, breathing work. We have Qigong. We have internal martial arts. And those internal martial arts can be done for healing the body, building vitality, um, for training to, you know, for combat and for going down a spiritual path. So there's lots of material. There's lots of things. But it comes down to this. The Nagon is the core of everything. If you're interested in healing yourself, healing others, martial arts, meditation, whatever, the Nagong is the core of it. And the Nagong is um, 16 threads of how to manipulate, upgrade, and revamp and revitalize your entire physical and energetic anatomy. And that is split into a five element program. And so you, in, in the long term, yes, like several decades, you want to learn the entirety of that Nagong program. Yes. And each of those five elements is one, one Qigong set or one Qigong movement for each of the five elements. But they say it takes a decade to have a good look at that system. So choose something, play with it for a couple of years and see what it does for you. And some of the stuff is generic to all five elements. And then each element has its own specific. Yes. So we have two basic cross pairs. You have fire and water opposites in balance and you have wood and metal opposites in balance and those two pairs all fold into the earth element so eventually everything is in within the the movement of the earth element the movements uh, the god's plan in cards but where you really want to start you want to start with something like dragon and tiger uh, which is a splinter of the wood element or the marriage of heaven and earth which is a wood element and these, these are really easy access points. And this will start getting you on the road to understanding your body, to understanding how energy moves through you, and in order to begin the process of clearing out the gunk, yes, releasing the stagnancies, getting rid of the, the knots, opening the physical body up and just letting the body literally breathe better, yes, operate, function better. And then once you get a year or two down the road, then you start to see all these other pieces. But if you want to learn Tai Chi, if your thing is, is healing others, you need the Nagong because that is what powers all of these things. Yes. And it's also the shortest route because if you learn the Nagong, the Qigong sets, the Nagong system, if you learn the Nagong, that is required if you want a martial art to become an internal martial art. If you want your meditation in the Taoist perspective to really take off, 
you need that Neigong inside your meditation. So the Neigong is a way of you getting in the door, learning the basics, and then it gets applied. Now, do you want to heal? Do you want to make yourself more robust, more get more energy, more vitality? Yes. What is it? What is your goal? And then once you're in, once you're inside, because you see, looking from the outside, you you can't you can't understand this. This is really different. So, I did a lot of different martial arts when I was a kid, and I would say that none of them were in this direction. This is a completely inside out, upside down, round and way back to front from what you look at, how you look at things, how you perceive movement in the human body to be. So, yeah, you need to get in there. You need to actually experience it and get to the best teacher you can do your research a few months with a good teacher or seeing a good teacher once or twice a year is way better than a mediocre teacher whoever's around the corner for years they just won't have the ability to take you very far down the road yeah so do your research this is the thing and how would somebody find you, Paul? And what sort of opportunities are there? I know you have books out, um, you run retreats, uh, you do private classes, both in person and on Skype. How would somebody get in contact with you if they wanted to investigate possibly studying with you? Yeah, just so you know, I only really do Skype lessons for people who are already training. It's impossible to teach movement on Skype. But if someone's already got a practice, I can then look at them and give them feedback on their practice and give them give them more. But you, you need to come into the classroom, as I say. But primarily I teach in London, Finsbury Park in London. And I am doing, I think, eight weekends this year and a couple of weeks of training in Finsbury Park. I will be doing a two-week retreat on the island of Crete in Greece. And I think that's it for this year because I'm streamlining everything. I am now doing more traveling. So um, I have more training to do this year. So for the next couple of years, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. And those courses are open to beginners and experienced people within the internal arts. Yeah, and I've attended some of Paul's classes in London, only one or two, sadly, because of my traveling schedule and uh, they are really excellent so you say you're doing some more you've got some more training to do that sounds interesting what do you mean by that you, you're, you're about to learn some new stuff uh, yeah there's a lot more out there yet for me my friend cool and could you give us any any tasters as to what you might be diving into next um well now we're working yeah we're just we're just working in the meditation on um yeah we're working through the eight bodies there's a lot there it's it's called a life path because you can do it for more than one lifetime and this is something interesting you know it's like i watched a bunch of the people speaking um some of your podcasts before i just before i agreed to do this interview you know just to see what kind of thing was going what, what you're into and you know see if, if i felt that we would fit or not you know and um a lot of people there were basically drawn 
weren't they? They're drawn into what there's one way or another. You know, for me, it was like, oh, I got interested in martial arts, you know, and then I had this accident and da, da, da. And then suddenly I slipped into this stream and I got into this stream and I've stayed in it for whatever. Yes. And, and this happens to people. And it's like, I feel it's like a, a, an, you're, you're an iron filing being drawn to a magnet. And that's what I think about lineage. If you've been involved in that lineage in past life, then you will get drawn to that magnet. And the, and the more you've been involved, the earlier on in your life you get drawn to it, or the quicker you develop within it when you find it. Yes? And I do find this, and I felt that in my own reality, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this over the years. They really get, it's like wherever they go, they get pulled in this direction and eventually they kind of give up, you know? They give up the resistance and they go down that road. And a lot of people that do that end up spending the rest of their lives doing that. And if they, um, if they don't have live teachers to teach them, they continue to develop their own material with what they've been taught. So I, I feel I've been taught enough that if I never saw my teacher again, I could train for the rest of my life if I lived to 150. But I know that if I continue training, I'll get further quicker. Paul Cavill, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.